Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Moe, executive pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who is fresh back from his trip to Peru where he hiked Machu Picchu. I don't know if I'd say fresh. He's a little, he's, he's, I would say wrung out, rode hard, put up wet. I mean, there's all kinds of metaphor here, but I... Uh, you, you did a lot of hiking. Oh. I mean, you have to. I mean, if you don't know the elevation of Peru and the landscape, then you should probably, you know, do some research. Check it out. There's a lot happening there, but it's not it's not uh, Superior, Nebraska. No, no. It's a long way from Kansas. Like, the, the thing about these Incas is everything is uphill. I don't know how it's possible that you would climb uphill to something. And then somehow on the way back, it was still uphill. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> it was like some sort of MC Eichner, like a drawing that you just lost yourself in. Isn't that how you used to go? First of all, that's an incredible reference. Second of all, <laughs> I pulled that out of somewhere. I don't know. Isn't that what grandpa used to, how grandpa used to get to school? Uphill both ways in snow. Yeah, 100%. No, he was not doing it at 12% or 12,000 feet elevation. Wow. Wow. And the thing about the 12,000 feet is you need, turns out you need oxygen. Turns out. I mean, it's, yeah. And, and I don't know that this is true. Maybe someone can Google it and follow up. But someone was explaining that it's not so much that there is less oxygen as it is the pressure of it or something. So it's not pushing it. So it's, you're not getting as much oxygen, but it's not that there's not as much. It's just that it's not getting into you. I need to fact check that. Yeah, you might want to fact check it. They said it with a lot of confidence. <laughs> then maybe that's true. You I've know? just never heard that. Uh, either way, the amount of oxygen that I needed was <laughs> not available. <laughs> they were. Did they have concessions where they're selling oxygen? No, but I'm, the missed opportunity. I tell you that if someone would have set up a lemonade stand and with little right. cans of oxygen, I'd right. have paid. What <laughs> reminds me of Venmo, a, that stuff, man. A funny story though. On our Wyoming trip, we stopped for gas or something, and we're in higher elevation because we're outside of Denver. On our way there, and our good friend, Pastor Rob McCoy, purchases a bottle of. Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I didn't. He purchases a bottle of oxygen. Did you know you could even do that? I didn't know you could do that. Just Com go buy a can. Compressed air. With a mouthpiece, like they sell these on purpose for um, like elevation sickness at the gas station. And he was like passing it around like you could like. <laughs> like they were huffing Huffing paint. oxygen. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was actually really cute. How at first they... I was like, wait a minute, what, what's happening in our bus? Yeah. And why is the pastor huffing paint? <laughs> Very confusing moment yeah, until of... we all realized it was like flavored oxygen. Oh, it was flavored? It had some sort of something in it. And... Like salted oxygen, like salted caramel? I just couldn't understand, but I don't understand why they don't have that in Peru, it feels like a really missed opportunity. Well, it's a third world country. Uh -oh. And my safety, my comfort, mm. my needs are nowhere on their list of goals to accomplish in yeah. a day. Yeah. Like there's no railings. There's no, I mean, it's just good luck with all that. Mm. Um, there was a point climbing 
so there, there's, there's the Machu Picchu, which actually is only at like eight or 9,000 feet. Only, yeah. I know, right? But then there's like this mountain right behind it that I cannot remember the name of. And it's like Machu Caliente, I don't know. Um, and it's like climbing Mordor. Like I was waiting for a little scrawny guy with a ring, you know, with no teeth like to encounter us anyway. But you, you don't have to do that. It's not literally part of the, but if you want to, you can get this a killer view, no pun intended, um, literally a killer view wow. of Machu Picchu. There's literally, you're climbing up at points where there is nothing but a thousand foot drop on your left side and, you know, you're hugging the is right as hard as you can thinking. Now that said, there were a couple of drops where it was like about 50 feet and I don't want, this is my decision I was talking to Ethan about. 50 feet, you're going to you're gonna lay there for a little bit and writhe. And I am not pro-writhe. I want to I want it just to be quick. You get a good look at the Machu Picchu while you're falling, and then you wake <laughs> up in heaven. Like, But I, what I don't want is to be laying at the bottom waiting for a helicopter to take me so I could die someplace else. Like, I'd just rather be done with it. Fortunately, we didn't have to do any of that. My only reference to, to Lima, Peru, is... Uh, is Emperor's New Groove. Now, can we talk about how amazing this movie is? First of all, it's probably a top three. I probably missed an upper. I probably should have watched The Emperor's New Groove in preparation for my trip. I can't believe you didn't, first of all. But the the landscape, the setting, everything that's happening in that is is my reference point for your trip. <laughs> if you guys hiking up the mountains is what I'm picturing. Wait, so is, are you uh, telling me that The Emperor's New Groove, was it was he in Inca? Was that on? Cusco. That was in Cusco? I'll be doggone, you're right. And that's where we were. We were in Cusco for like three days. And I remember even thinking, when I, I guess I was a kid when I came out. I'm trying to remember how old that movie is. But so It was 2000. Okay, so I wasn't a kid. I was a 20-year-old kid. A little too old to be watching cartoons. Well, I had, a, <laughs> I, had a, uh, I had a baby. Who could not. So Actually, he wasn't be, even born yet. Yeah, so. I was say, let's be honest. This is not what was happening. You were watching this for your own edification and entertainment. It's because. one of the funniest movies ever. But that's what I picture huh. is you guys, you and, uh, I'm trying to remember these characters' names, hiking up that Kronk. Oh, Kronk is a great character. I've pulled up the Wikipedia. Oh, wow. But so why were you there? Well, so it was, it was sort of twofold. I was playing a, a role of... Um, so, the mission side of me is we have been investigating and looking for places to expand Operation Freedom. Yes. And little known fact, but I bet by our people it's very well known that some of the most highly, for, for minors, sex trafficked minors in the world are tourist places in third world countries. Dominican Republic, for instance. Cusco, Peru is way up there. Girls being trafficked in from... The mountains, and so you know, I, I, I was trying to get my eyes on that. I was talking a little, a little bit of Bible teaching with my buddy Jim uh, Andrews while I was there, and then, the, but the 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 catalyst for the trip was the Blurry Creatures guys and Tim Alberino, who I've been listening to Alberino for I don't know ten years. He's I'll say this: he's come a long way in ten years. The old Tim Alberino videos was like him just sitting in like his basement in Bozeman. With a with his camera on his phone, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you don't know, t just Google Tim Alberino. He actually lived in Peru for for many years after graduation. And you know, part of the blurry creatures thing was that hey, in these you know ancient developments of where the Incas were, 
uh, nobody knows how they built these things and, and, and why being one, but, but how, and, and the, the, the conventional wisdom that the Incas built it is, um, it, it sounds good for uh, the country's history, but the fact is, is that the, the, these ancient megalithic structures were already there when the Incas got there and they built on top of them. You can literally see the line where they built on top of what was existing there. And so you've got 70 ton stones. And, you know, one of the things that Alberino points out is that, yes, that is a legitimate question. How do they move 70 ton stones, 10,000 feet from 10 miles away? But he was like, but the bigger question is the technology that they used to build this that has survived earthquakes. They, there's no mortar between these stones. They are somehow cut perfectly. Mm. So you can't even put a piece of paper in between them perfectly and then set so that they are earthquake proof. There have been multiple earthquakes that have destroyed up and, but these structures have stayed in place somehow because of the way that they built them. So, you know, the idea the blurry creatures guys, you know, is, um, you know, they, they would suggest that these were built by giants that were from Genesis six, the, the men of renown, the, and, and understanding if you're part of the Enlightenment or if you've got a you know a, a, an MDiv from Dallas Theological Seminary, you think that Genesis six was referring to like the bloodline of Adam and Seth's line, but you have to really really torture it to make it say that. And the fact of the matter is, whoever it was, whatever it was, Genesis six actually gives a little bit of a playbook for how it could have happened. You know, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and. Um, you know, had babies and they were the men of renown that, you know, it's the idea being that Genesis, the sin of Genesis three was one assault on humanity. But by Genesis six, when the, the DNA was being infected with whatever these beings were, that was why God needed to start over again. And parenthetically, the, the fossil record, the archaeological record shows that, you know, between eight and 12,000 years ago, there was a cataclysmic flood, and that is all over the world. Again, biblically speaking, we, we, we kind of know what that was, but, there, you know, something caused a big flood that caused entire populations to be wiped out. And so, yeah, the, the purpose of the trip was going with, uh, with the Blurry Creatures guys on a little exploration adventure uh, with, uh, with a twist of mission. So while everybody else was going to bed, I was literally exploring, this is going to sound terrible, massage parlors, not because I was trying to do that, but I wanted to figure out where these, cause that's in, in those countries, especially that's where you'll find a lot of the traffic is going to be in these massage parlors where they've got underage girls and old white European men, uh, perverts with it. So We'll talk later, make some announcements about that as to what that could look like for us there. But uh, there's a direct path there where we could help some kids get rescued out of this nonsense. Those that may not be aware, the Blurry Creatures podcast is uh, run by our good friends, Nate Henry and Luke Rogers. Check out their website, blurrycreatures.com. And of course, listen to the podcast if you would be interested in in some of the blurrier things found in scripture, such as... Genesis chapter six. Now, since you've been there with your own eyes this past week, you were there, you got to touch these megalithic marvels, as they say, get to see it, be around it in the environment. What's your take on how it got there? 
my take is 100% I don't know. Fair. Because <laughs> no and, one else can figure it out either. And anybody that says they do is lying. Yeah. You know, there's um, there's some uh, theories that using these uh, lenses that they could melt stone, and they've proven that you can melt stone with these... What are these lenses, giant, like, lenses called? There's, there's a word for them that I should know. Anyway, at best, that's a stretch, and it doesn't match the geological record of these stones. They've actually found the quarries where these stones were cut from, so they weren't melting them and making, like, Legos. Right. Um, that That's not it. I do know this, that God is infinite, right? What was he doing for a trillion years before? You know, the... The, in the beginning, um, Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. And the Hebrew for that is tohu va'vohu, um, was without form and, and void. And, and then in the prophets, I, I want to say it's Isaiah, someone Google it. Um, but one of the prophets says that in the beginning, the earth was not without form and void, using the exact same language, tohu va'vohu. And so the question is, is, A, does the Bible contradict itself or is what is described in Genesis 1 a recreation of the earth uh, that was not without form and void, but something caused it to become without form and void? And there are those, again, in the geological record, they say there was an asteroid, whatever. Jesus said, I behold him, Satan, fall as lightning from heaven. And so there's a a very prominent, uh, becoming more prominent theory called the gap theory, which is that, you know, between verses one, two, and three of Genesis chapter one, there were like, there could have been a hundred million years. We don't know. Um, Hugh Ross, a book called A Matter of Days, highly recommend, describes how the Hebrew language, just why the Hebrew uh, Jewish people have no problem with an old earth because they've only got one word for day. But there's five different meanings for it in Hebrew, and all five of those are used in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so, you know, is it possible that each day is a 24-hour period or that each day is a, as in the days of Noah, again, that's one of the languages in the days of Noah, it's possible, probable, that each of the days does not represent a 24-hour period but represents a period with a beginning and an end. And Hugh points out that the seventh day didn't have an end that we're still in the seventh day of creation. And so um, you can't say that evolution is true with the Bible as far as like species evolving from one species to another, which by the way, Darwin, his theory, the, the, the longer it goes on, the less, you know, true it, it is, unlike Einstein's theories, whatever. Um, but but the truth is, is that there's a break in the fossil record. There's a break where something stopped and then something started. That's between eight and 12,000 years ago, which is in line with scripture with it. And so what was happening for those thousands of years before? Were there beings, were the Elohim on the earth, were, you know, the sons of God, were they here? What were they doing while they were here? Um, again, God infinite, infinite God, infinitely small, infinitely large, it doesn't change or affect the gospel. If anything, it closes the loop with what science itself can't figure out, which is how do these structures get here? The archaeologists, the geologists, none of them can figure it out. They've, they've tried to replicate here. They put them on logs and rolled them on sand, which is nonsense. You know, Elon Musk couldn't get these stones up there uh, 
maybe with a rocket. I don't know. I don't, who knows what, what kind of technology it would require? You know, something happened to get them up there that was more than just rubbing two sticks together. Wow. You took your son with you, which is pretty cool, and he's um, he's at an age where I mean he's just taking it all in and being able to kind of travel the world with his dad, which is a really cool experience. What, what do you think was the biggest takeaway for for the two of you together on a trip like that? That's a good question. We had a we had a little dinner with Alberino, and Alberino has no problem talking about aliens. None, no, no, no he's he's all about it. And uh, so I asked Ethan as we were going back to our room that night, "What do you what do you think about all that? What do you what's rolling around in your mind?" And his exact words, "Well," and I could actually hear Joel in him, like, "Well, it's not a salvation issue." <laughs> So there's room for disagreement on it. I'm like, yeah, there you go. There you go. I love that. He says, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. And, and I don't either. When you start, when people start talking about, cause he was actually telling the story of a lady that's been abducted multiple times and you know, she's a successful lady and yada, yada. And you know, and I don't, I don't know what to think of that. I, I, I think I know what to think of it, which is it's demonic activity and the, you know, again, the Bible does not contradict it. The Bible actually gives us more language for it than then, you know, this lady's crazy because she, you know, Alberino's retelling of a story. She's demonstrably not crazy, but this has happened to her multiple times in her life. So that was the conversation we're coming off of with dinner. And I was wondering, man, I wonder what my son is thinking about all this stuff right now. And, and that was his answer. Well, it's not a salvation issue with it. So, I mean, he's ruined for the ordinary. No question about it. Uh, I will say he's been a little whiny because we're going to go to, we head for Uganda on Monday. Oh man, he's going with you too. Again. Yeah, but, you know, he, he is going. Uh, I gave him the out this year because, you know, I'm just I'm dragging him all over. Yeah. But his buddies are going. You know, Eric will be there. Caleb's going to be there. Bennett is going to be there, Bennett Ross. So he is all kinds of fired up to hang out with his buddies. And he did say, you know, Dad, no offense, but I would like to be on Eric's team. And not yours. I'm like, son. <laughs> uh, two things. One, just because you say no offense does not mean it's not offensive. <laughs> it does not negate how much that hurts my feelings. And second, I'm actually very proud of you because you didn't try to manage my feelings and you told me what you thought and what you felt. So I just want to tell you I'm proud of you for doing that. A growth moment for it's all a growth of us. growth moment for all of us. And now, yeah, I'm gonna, he's not going to be on my team. Well, I think it's really cool that you were able to go on that trip and then do, like you said, maybe a little recon for what this Operation Freedom division of our mission ministry has become and speaking of freedom we're recording this on july 5th the day after our independence day um where i don't know about at your house but at, my, at our house we blew up a lot of stuff last night um fireworks are always a fun time at the demons <clears throat> we actually recounted a, a story of of you last night you may or may not remember it was the it was our first time ever blowing up Fireworks, lighting fireworks. When we moved to town, because fireworks are illegal in Ohio, <laughs> not illegal in Tennessee. No, Bless freedom, God. baby. Bless God. Free state of Tennessee. It was our first summer or two here in town, and we had never done that before. And so we invited a bunch of friends over from the church to come hang, 4th of July celebration. Well, we didn't know that you weren't supposed to unwrap the box that you light on a wick. We just unwrapped it like a Christmas gift. And then lit the wick. And I don't know if you remember this, but <laughs> without any packaging around uh, fireworks, they they fire off in 360 degrees. 
<laughs> and it was a moment where everybody that was sitting around literally hit the deck, dove for cover. Yeah. It was like a scene out of Fallujah, Iraq, where we're just running and hiding. And we remembered you were there and Ethan, little Ethan was there at the time. Uh, I do remember that. I don't Julia. know that I knew that was how that or why that happened. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing because <laughs> we just didn't know. Like, how does this work? Uh, you Ohio people with your oppressive Democrat state federal requirements. Well, we learned our lesson and we know how to do them now. And we had a really good time yesterday. Um, but sp speaking of freedom, the theme of freedom, um, a ruling came down technically on Monday, but was read and disseminated on Tuesday, on July 4th. I don't think that was a coincidence. Uh, from from Judge uh, Dowdy, I believe in Louisiana. Is that is that my understanding this? I'm pretty sure. Because of this, uh, the district, I can't remember the district, 5th district, whatever is Louisiana court. Federal Judge Terry Dowdy released his opinion in Missouri versus Biden on July 4th is when he released it. Finding the government likely violated the First Amendment by conspiring, interesting word, mm. by conspiring with big tech in a far-reaching and widespread censorship campaign. If you remember... Over the past couple of years, um, big tech, Facebook, namely Facebook, namely Twitter, namely Instagram, um, would censor, um, suppress, remove, give warnings, put in timeout if you were to post anything that was against the, the narrative, the mainstream federal government narrative of a, any story, this particular opinion on this lawsuit, essentially it gives them preliminary injunction blocking the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security from working with big tech to censor content. <laughs> That's that's the ruling. There is a preliminary injunction. Now, there's several steps involved still. But so far, as of today, there's an injunction blocking, you know, Google, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, from working with hand-in-hand -hand with the Department of Justice, the FBI, and Homeland Security. Which is remarkable. Like, when the Twitter files were released and the realization that the federal government was asking, demanding that these social media companies, who, by the way, they didn't have to twist their arms that hard to silence any sort of a dissenting voice. Of course, it starts with COVID because of supposed dangers of whatever. Um, but the fact is that the federal government was, it was like, this is literally like a new George Orwell book being written right in front of us, the Ministry of Truth, which, I mean, if you remember, there was a period of time where uh, they, they, they were going to launch something. Remember that? And that girl yeah. that they were going to have, it was like some Twitter nut job that, or no, she was a Facebook. TikTok nut job or something. I think she was from Facebook. The girl that was going to be in charge of the Ministry of Truth yeah. or whatever, whatever yeah. that was called, mm -hmm. that they... The fact that they they backed it off was great, but the fact that they didn't think that this was going to be like they didn't even begin to understand the optics of it was was terrifying. But to see that a, a, a federal judge um, 
and there's no question this is going to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine this because it's just an injunction. So it's waiting for the next step of this. But the idea that the, the federal government is not allowed is it should not be a controversial statement. That's like right. the Constitution of the United States. And I, I don't if, I don't even know where to find it. But there, you know, Justice Scalia. At one point, I, was, I saw him doing a, a speech. I think is what it was uh, somewhere. We're saying that look, every banana republic. If I remember, his quote was, "Every banana republic has a bill of rights. The Soviet Union has a bill of rights. That's not what makes our." government unique. What makes our government unique is the checks and balances between the branches of government. Because when it's, once it all comes down to one branch that has all the power, one guy that has all the power, then the Bill of Rights is nothing but just wallpaper. Has You could paper your bathroom and it would be more valuable. But the idea that these judges are coming in and stepping in and saying something about it, that's what makes it unique to say that that Biden could not do the Biden administration. And by the way, that's every administration from here on out. I don't want any administration having that kind of power from either side to say that you are that the private sector is should stop this speech from being going forward because we've decided what's true and what's not. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's um, it's interesting that they're basically admitting that the government was in cahoots with big tech. Yes. They're not saying the, 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 the really obvious part out loud, meaning like, hello, like what we were saying maybe three years ago that this, that there is a narrative, just the, just, just the idea that there was a quote unquote narrative of information of how a story was being laid out from the government. Right. Just by even slightly questioning that several of us were, you know, called crazy. Like, no, like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, no, like the federal government is, is inferring, they are implying, they are nudging, they are controlling the, the big tech on what can and can't be said. And you start seeing, you know, the Twitter files come out and all this different censorship, you know, you could post something on Instagram and it be flagged and grayed out and or removed for misinformation that was bonkers right. to think that the, any company could do that two right. years ago. Like it's never been done right. before. And some of the, I mean, these companies are still doing it on their own. I mean, YouTube just demonetized Theo Vaughn. Saw that. Yeah. Because of his interview with Robert F. Kennedy. So you've got. That's right. Imagine how weird this world is where Theo Vaughn, who, by the way, is one of the most brilliant minds. Like, I don't know what price he had to pay at birth, like what he had to give up to get this. He's just a random dude, but he's hilarious. But, uh, you know, he, but he's like a C-level, D-level comedian, right? He's not like a Rogan or a Chris Rock or whatever. Comedian. But to be, you know, silenced by YouTube, which continues to silence voices because people who make their living on pages like YouTube channels being demonetized, it's literally, there's a price they're paying for. For this kind of truth. So you've got a literal Democratic candidate for the president of the United States silenced, who, by the way, has been silenced for, for the last couple of years. Um, like you talk about tipping the scales. Now, the thing that 
that this judge was ruling on was not that it was that the, the social media companies don't have the right to do this. That's a whole other conversation. What they were saying was that the federal government does not have the right to tell the social media companies That's right. to tip the scale. And it would be fascinating to figure out if they're still using the same types of things that came from these social media companies, came from the federal government, when it talks about... Because if I remember right, it was, it was back to the vaccine. It was why they were, why they were silencing uh, Kennedy. That's right. And the reason I think this is really important is as we continue to head into a declining post-Christian culture, um, a post-Christian society, it's going to be really important for us to not silence or censor our faith. Um, the, the, the federal government, big tech, is going to do that for us. They are going to, and, and have already, yeah. tried to marginalize, minimize, demonize um, our faith beliefs, um, push to the side, and turn everything upside down on its head to where when we say something that is that has a moral, that has... Um, has a truth to it per God's word. Um, we are now in the minority as we're the crazy ones. Right. Which John 16, um, we're going into this Sunday. So this is a precursor to this Sunday. But verse one, he says, I, I have, all this I've told you, so 14, 15, the Holy Spirit, all the things that are coming, um, I've told you so you will not fall away. And then he goes on to say, they will put you out of the synagogue, which is not just, it's not the same as being kicked out of a church. Like the synagogue was life. Like you're out of the synagogue, you've lost financial opportunities, you've lost business opportunities, you've lost your social standing, you've been marginalized, which this week, I mean, I'm getting messages from Berendra in Nepal that their own communities, that this, it's getting, the screws are getting tighter and tighter and tighter in Nepal. Uh, as to what they are and are not allowed to do, people's um, personal properties are being vandalized and there's no recourse against it, which is they will put you out of the synagogue. And so the question is, if this is your choice to be cut off from opportunities, to be cut off from being able to monetize, uh, marginalize, whatever, um, I'm telling you this ahead of time so you won't fall away because the temptation is to bow to that pressure which is not just bowing to the pressure, it is actually falling away. You know what's true, but you're not going to live by the truth because you don't want to pay the price for it. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this now so you don't fall away. This is what's going to happen. And it's, look, we're going back to ancient Peru here. There have been spiritual forces at work on this planet since before we got here. They hate God. They hate the truth. So any act of truth is an act of rebellion against their rebellion. And if you think for a minute that there's not going to be consequences for that, you're just, we're naive to that. And in America, we've been naive and we've been so comfortable that the, you know, I think the two ditches is one that we could get so freaked out and so afraid that we're just yelling and screaming at everybody. 100% that's not what the Holy Spirit's job in our life is to give us power to be his witnesses. And the other one is that we just completely shut up and completely shut down because we are so afraid of the consequences of it. Uh, those are both two ditches that the Holy Spirit keeps us out of as the spirit of truth. I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting point concerning the synagogue. And maybe explain that just a little bit more because the synagogue was really... A, a bustling community of people 
there's the 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 inner courts, but on the outer courts is where, like you were talking about, commerce. There's 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 community happening. There's um, there's opportunities for you know to sell their goods as they're coming into, like there's there was a lot happening in the synagogue. It wasn't just a in people's minds they may just think it's just a church that they walk into. Yeah, we actually, to my knowledge, maybe the closest thing that we might have in our society that you could compare it to would be like being Amish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you're put out, but even there, you 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 know, it's like the rest of society still welcomes you in, but in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish faith, the synagogue was literally the center of their lives. Yeah, everything happened in the synagogue, and so the. You know, every so the temple is where the outer courts were. That's where they would go in Jerusalem to worship. You know, once for the festivals, and then throughout the year, in their their cities like Magdala, places that were going to be in Jerusalem or around, you know, in Israel, Galilee, whatever. Their their synagogues still there, and that was like their their town hall, not just a place for three fast songs, two slow songs, an offering, and a sermon. It was literally like their town hall because it was. Um, a theocracy. They, they, you know, even though they were ruled by the Roman government, they had a theocracy in place. Their laws were the Torah. There wasn't like the Torah and then there was a set of laws. It was the set of laws. The, you know, everything was that came from the Torah was how they, they operated their lives. And so, yeah, when you're thrown out of that, you are literally, um, y- y- your mom and your dad, dis- that's why I say the Amish might be the closest because you're disowned by your family. But it's not just your family, it's your community. When we were in um, Nepal this last time, you know, we had to hire a driver. And in this part of Nepal, if you are a Christian, you are not allowed to own a vehicle. You're not allowed to uh, own certain, you're basically cut off of all business opportunities. How do they know? That's the thing. They don't know unless you tell them. And so you could lie about it and say, I'm not. Or you could be quiet about it. And they'll ignore you. When I uh, we were checking into the hotel, the the guy who was working as the uh, at the front desk leaned over and he asked if we were here for that event, and he said, "I'm a Christian as well." Whispered it in Nepal. In Nepal, because he would lose his job if they knew he was a Christian. Wow. Now, it is above my pay grade to know um, what I would do in that situation. But that's what Jesus is warning about. We can't be silent about our faith just because you're going to lose your job. Are they putting, are they putting your belief system like on your, on your driver's license, on a, on some sort of government card? Like, are they asking you this when you're registering for I don't, that's a good question in Nepal. Pakistan? Yes. Indonesia? Yes. When you're filling out your paperwork for your government ID, there are five religions to choose from. It's Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity. I'm missing the fifth one. I remember asking um, our contact who I was with in Indonesia many years ago. And I said, well, what if you're Jewish? (laughs) And she, by the way, Christian lady, loves Jesus. She was so befuddled. She goes, well, you, uh, you... You don't. Oh, wow. <laughs> so response like, what if you, you're Jewish? Well, you don't. You don't be Jewish. <laughs> you don't be Jewish. You don't Jewish. <laughs> but that was, that was, you just didn't get to choose that as an wow. option, which is why Israel is so brilliant in that if you go, to, well, not if, Mo and Jenny are going to Israel with us. That's the plan. You will not have an Israel stamp. They give you like a little sticker mm. 
that uh, because there are so many countries in the world that if you have an Israeli pass stamp on your passport, they will not allow you in that country. Morocco, Pakistan, I think Indonesia. So Israel, to help their tourism, said, well, hey, we'll just give you a little sticker so you don't. nobody will know you were here. Now I'll say, and you, you might get to witness this, I get a little extra... I get a little extra tender care from the Israeli uh, security because I have I have uh, North Africa. I've got Muslim countries on my passport, and they could give no craps that it was for mission work. They just want to know why I was there and why I'm here. Interesting. Uh, which is understandable why they would ask that. But they don't sure. prohibit you just because you've got a Saudi Arabian stamp on your passport. They don't preclude you from coming into their country as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I mean, it just makes you wonder, you know, in how many years away are we from having to declare our our faith, um, declare our our religion on a government ID? I, I think that it's interesting whether we have to put it in writing or not. If you're a teacher right now, for instance, and you are required by your law, which in California, many of the school districts require this, and you've got a 13-year-old that decides that it's a boy that decides he's a girl, and now you are required to call him by his pronouns that are a result of a mental disorder, not a result of reality. Are you willing to lose your job for that? Now, right now, I know teachers in our area that, that skirt this by just not using any pronouns at all. That, that's a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. You're not violating your conscience for that. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, that's what's coming for us. There are going to be, I think this is what Rod Dreher said when we had him for an interview a few months back, was that there are just going to be certain lines of work in America that are inaccessible to Christians because they will violate your conscience. I think that the military is part of that right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's their goal to build the weakest military on earth, but uh, they're they're going to succeed with with requiring diversity, equity, and inclusion. It sounds so good on paper, but um, requiring you to violate your conscience for that. I mean, we have, you know, people in our church family that, and I have no judgment for them whatsoever. They took the vaccine because they didn't want, they were in the military and they were going to lose their pension. That is not a sin to do that. It's not a violation of your conscience to do that. Um, it, it, but if that is now required to have like a female who thinks he's a male in your, th there are things coming for us that are going to require us to be put out of the synagogue. And in some ways it's already here. In, in many ways it's already here. In, in the tech world right now, the, the idea of being a Christian, I mean, you got to keep that on the down low. I, I know guys in Silicon Valley who have been quote unquote investigated, uh, for hate speech because they quote unquote misgendered somebody mm. with it. And it requires this whole HR thing, this whole like, you know, uh, being investigated in the, you know, and if you don't like that they're a Christian, all you got to do is just keep reporting him to HR, whether they did it or not, which by the way is what happens in Pakistan all the time. A Muslim will accuse their neighbor of a blasphemy law and they are guilty until proven innocent. People have lost their livelihoods because of a Muslim neighbor who accused them of burning a Quran, or which may or may not have been true, but that's what they were accused of. And someone said it once: you can always tell a nation whose nations, what a nation's gods are, based on their blasphemy laws. And the blasphemy law is what you're allowed to say and not say. And in ours, our god is uh, our idol is sexual identity is the idol of the United States of America. Speaking of 
Muslims and Korans and blasphemy laws. Are you following what's going on in France? Yes. What is your take on some of that? Because it seems as if it's mostly driven by um, outside forces. I I guess what I mean by that is an infiltration of a large segment of... um, of the Muslim community moving into France over the past decade yep. where those um, chickens have come home to roost per se. <laughs> right. Um, obviously there's been a couple of events that have triggered these riots that are happening in France. And if you haven't been paying attention, it's been a holiday weekend. There's a lot happening in the world. Um, but France is burning right now. I would not be taking a uh, a trip to see the Eiffel Tower anytime soon. And, and if you do have uh, plane tickets and you are planning to visit <laughs> Paris on a on a week on a, a summer vacation, you may want to you may want to do a little more research on where you're staying. The thing, so it's interesting you'd bring that up. D- Douglas Murray has been writing about this for the better part of a decade in the UK. As to what is happening and what could come from it? A hundred percent. Interesting. Because if, how do you say this with being tasteful? Um, So Muslim is not a race of people. It is a religion. That's right. Okay. Number one. Number two, it's a cult. A hundred percent. If you leave Islam, you are disowned. If you leave Islam, you are, you know, beaten. You are, it is, it's, it's a cult. Um, and what Murray has been writing about, by the way, as an openly gay, uh, secular humanist, uh, who do you say he's agnostic or what would he say? Yeah. I think he would say agnostic or atheist somewhere. If there's a line, if there's a spectrum somewhere, he's somewhere between agnostic and atheist, (laughs) but he's making the obvious thing, which is that, look, if your religion, uh, and we're welcoming you into our country and you're going to bring this with you. We are in trouble. It's it's candidly, it's what Israel's facing right now, which is in a democratic country, like the one state solution there. If radical, even moderate Islam is completely anti-Semitic, hundred percent. They don't make any. That's why the, in Indonesia, well, you just don't. If they become a one state solution and the Arabs are allowed and encouraged and invited into the electoral process, they will literally vote out freedom and, and the whole state becomes a, uh, you know, uh, just another version of, uh, of the West bank. That said in France right now, that's what's happening that the numbers and look, nobody's saying I'm not anyway, I don't know who is maybe that Syrian refugees don't deserve a place to go, they, they, that the, the war-torn nations that have happened over the Middle East don't need a place to go and to be safe. But what I am saying, what Douglas Murray is saying, is that if that is unchecked, that the very, uh, it's the Trojan horse at that point, the very yeah. thing that we value and protect, if you come in here and don't value and protect that, then you end up with what's happening in France right now, which is a, you know, a, a group of people who, uh, for whatever reason, you can't you can't broad stroke it. There are uh, Muslims there who are peaceful people, but the religion itself, um, you, you know, well, it's what's happening. They're burning the country down. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that was so naive. If you're a secular progressive. 
the naivete, I remember Hillary Clinton saying this about abortion, just saying, well, you're just going to have to change your views on that, you know, speaking to the, de- the deplorables, which is in her mind, if you're a secular progressive, so easy to do. Why don't you just change your mind about this? But this is a religion, right? We, we believe in our hearts that human value, the value of life, that's Christianity 101. When you've put that lens on Islam, that, the, the, that it's not about love, it's not about human rights, it's about world domination of Islam, jihad. And that's brought in. They're not just going to change their minds. So, you know, Macron, Merkel, any one of these that are secular humanists that have been ruling their countries are so naive to think that, well, we'll just change their minds with them. They're not going to hurt us when they get here. You can do this right now. If you go to Minneapolis airport and you call for a taxi and you have, uh, let's say you've brought a, a bottle of bourbon for your friend, they will. there are Somali taxi drivers that will not allow you to ride in their taxi because you have alcohol. Mm. That's in America. That's, yeah. that's a very simple, in some ways, you know, harmless idea. But that's the point. Like that's their religion, to the point where they won't even let you ride in their taxi cab now. Now I think that the hum- like America, they they should have the right to say no to that. I I think it's, it's their loss, not mine. But but that's the our greatest strength, right? Is our freedom, and that's the Achilles heel that their uh, that that a religion like Islam is using against uh, France, and I don't know how this ends, honestly. Like I don't know, I don't know how this ends. It's not looking good. I mean, it's not looking good. They it comes and goes in waves in terms of like the control that they are able to to regain. Um, but then you have something like, uh, you know, Fourth of July, where there's obviously we celebrate, but you know they're shooting fireworks all over the world. Um, so they've been using those as weapons against police. <laughs> it is it is out of control. And I think one of the clips I saw was. Um, someone, I don't know necessarily it was an interview, but it was, you know, one of these protesters just raging to the camera that the Quran says, I mean, that's the way he started his sentence. Yeah. The Quran says that we, we can, we, we can get vindication for this, for this death in regards to, yeah. um, I guess a, a police officer had shot and killed, um, an, a young man in a, in an, instance. I, I don't understand the full story that propelled all of this, but I think there's multiple events. But the point being is they are rallying around the Quran and what they are, quote unquote, allowed to do in yeah. um, as a repercussion. I remember a few months back, I want to say April, March, um, there's a, a pretty, f- in, in the Islamic world, there's a famous apologist, Muhammad Hijab. Um, and talking about you know Salman Rushdie and the violence that has been called for against Salman Rushdie, um, and the idea that and this guy was saying you don't think we have gangsters? We've got gangsters. We can shut this down. Like no, he's defending what's happened to Salman Rushdie because inside of the Quran, it is a hundred percent not only uh, allowed but encouraged to visit physical violence on anyone that dishonors the name of Muhammad which if you remember right, was it two years, three years ago now when the, 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 the magazine had the cartoon and they killed the guy and, the, you know, um, in yeah. Christian, there are Christians who have done violent things, right? 
But you can't say that Jesus signed off on that. Like you have to, uh, there's no version of Jesus's Christianity that allows for that. There is no version for Muhammad's, uh, you know, version of Islam that does not allow for that. Like to, to not harm someone who is like Salman Rushdie, you are not being a good Muslim. That startled me. You are not being a good Muslim. That's the, that's the Quran. And so when you hear someone in America talk about, you know, Islam is this and Islam is that, the question is, which Islam are you talking about? Because in the same way that a lot of progressive Christians have made Jesus in their own image, they're also making Muhammad in their own image. Let Muhammad speak for himself. Let Allah speak for himself and let Jesus speak for himself. Don't, we don't have to add words because I would never serve a Jesus that did this or that, you know. Um, and inside of, of Islam in France right now, that's, it, it's the foreseeable future. I mean, there, there are those who have made the case over the years that the, the whore of revelation of Babylon would, was the Catholic church. There's actually a book called the, a woman rides the beast and it kind of makes a case for the Catholic church being the arch enemy of it. I, I, I've wondered if, uh, if the thing that they've missed all these years was that the, the whore of Babylon, uh, is going to be wearing a turban. Yeah. Because it speaks of a theocracy, which is, again, they think of the Catholic Church, a theocracy, but that every Islamic country uh, is, a is a theocracy. It's not a democracy, but an Islamic government. Does Douglas Murray have a take on America in regards oh, to gosh. the immigration and or migration that's yeah. happening on our borders? Yeah. And, oh, 100%. And by the way, so does the Bible. <laughs> uh you can go through the Old Testament, and I, and I, I, gosh, I'm not prepared for this, but seven or eight things where the Bible speaks of welcoming the immigrant, welcoming, you know, the foreigner, 100%. That's all over the Bible. But of the eight things that are in there, it's like four things that you can say, hey, we need to welcome them with open arms. Um, we need to feed them. Like those are things that maybe the left would say. But then on the other, there's like these other four or five things that talks about also they need to learn your language. They need to leave their, their they need to be assimilated into your culture. They need, you know, th th that's also in the Bible. So it's like the reason why the Bible isn't right or left is because it's both. And when you get into a fight over that and realize that, yeah, we, we do need to welcome people who are in danger. And that's maybe some people feel like, I, I don't know the tension here because we need to be open and welcoming to those whose lives are in danger. And on the other hand, we also need to require, you know, even learn the language is something that the Bible speaks of, of a foreigner coming in to learn the language, to be assimilated into the culture, assimilated into their faith. Um, th that's all, that is all the biblical message of it. And that's the thing that our society has done so terribly is just, you know, the, the, the extreme left is just, we're opening the doors wide open. If you can make it across the border, it's like a game of Red Rover. You know, if you can make it across, you're in. Um, and what that causes on the other side is people taking incredible, extraordinary risks with their children and with their lives. If I would say this, if they would spend the, the amount of energy and money on hiring, bolstering judges, bolstering border to, to vet, to interview, to, you know, and have requirements coming into our country. If they would spend all the energy on that, I think they could fix this problem tomorrow, yeah. today. But, uh, you know, it seems to be in our country right now, you've got the, we got to shut it all down side and you've got the, we got to open it all up side and neither one of those are, are biblical or helpful. Yeah.
Well, on this Fourth of July week podcast, we've managed to cover everything from aliens to illegal aliens. <laughs> In what fell swoop? <laughs> swoop. <laughs> um, so you head to Uganda on Monday. Yep. What is the primary goal of this trip? Well, right now, I'd say the primary goal, the bar's pretty low. Get 33 people in and out. Yeah. And anything else above that is gravy <laughs> Just with the, the flights and the airlines. But we're going to celebrate the churches that have been planted. We're going to plant two new churches while we're there. Oh, wow. That's um, great. Celebrate those as openings. Yeah, I, I wish I was a better at the numbers. If I were a Baptist, I'd know these numbers off the top of my head. I literally have no idea how much we have invested in these uh, churches, it it has to be over half a million dollars of water wells and schools and these two new churches that you're uh, they're launching. Do do new wells accompany them? Every one of them. Gosh, I love that. We are in communities. If you want to get let's get blurry again. Communities where the gospel has never been proclaimed, where there's never been a church, never been a pastor, or, or you know, if there's a Christian there, you know. They're by far the minority, minority. So we go in and we don't even tell them ahead of time. Like we don't let word get out that a church is being planted until we buy the land. Because if we do that ahead of time, then the witch doctors and the crazy will, uh, and the Muslims for that matter, will will curse, will yada, yada. So, but once we buy the land, then we make a declaration, you know, that this is Jesus has come to this village. And so we will be in one of those villages. There's been, actually we'll be in two of those. There, there's no, there was no clean water. There's no school, no clinic, no Jesus. And, you know, Caleb's sitting here. Uh, I will make a prediction right now that once we do that first day in that church, that the, that it's, it's like clockwork every time. Like, it's like Jiffy Pop for demons. <laughs> because we'll declare the gospel and say, look, we're not, you cannot add Jehovah, you can't add Yahweh onto your list of gods. You got to tear the list up. There is no list. There's only Jesus. There's only Jehovah. And, uh, you know, you get, and then, you know, words of Alex Matala, you got demons been minding their own business for the last thousand years or more here. And suddenly we're coming in there and kicking them out. You know, they don't go quietly. Yeah, it's good. You know, and you know, I mean, it's true. You won't have to say, does anybody feel demon possessed today? It'll just happen. It's happened every time. Wow. Because you declare that Jesus is Lord and somebody, female or male, will pop up and just fall over like 10 rows of chairs screaming and hollering. And, Unbelievable. And the uh, the demon squad from Matala's people will, will jump on it. Like and Ghostbusters. 100%, man. <laughs> just rebuking that thing. And, and you see these people that have been tormented by demons leaving completely at peace with life. Free. And it's amazing what will happen. So, yeah, we'll do... That we're going to do a gathering. We, we've ex- we got to the point now where we cannot hit all of the churches in one visit. So we're going to invite, I think, eight to ten of those churches to one place mm. for a celebration uh, while we're there. And and yeah, we're going to drive on Chinese-funded roads. We're going to be on the border of the DRC where lithium is being mined for our phones by by slaves. Um, it's going to be wild. DRC. Uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, China has infiltrated Africa in a major way. Oh. We've talked about it before on yes. this podcast. Billions of dollars. Um, you talk about being a slave to the lender. Oh, buddy. It, that uh, is the whole goal. 100% the goal. They need, 
the minerals to make batteries, electric batteries for our phones, for our cars, for... And they, uh, Congo especially, is is one of the richest locations of that kind, those kind of minerals. They also need oil. Um, and Uganda has discovered oil in northern Uganda. So, yeah, they're financing uh, the deep water port in Kenya, the airports. They're even paying for palaces, man, for these tyrants that run these countries. Uh if you've ever read a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, it's about the history of the CIA and what our CIA has done. It's one of the things that Robert Kennedy, I mean, I don't I don't know if I could vote for a Democrat. I don't know if I don't know, but the guy that wants to do away with the CIA, I'm all in for that. Um, but they are literally China is just basically stealing. It's like they just stole that book and now we're gonna do all of those same things. Yeah to these countries because now they're going to control the oil. They're going to control the lithium. They're going to control the uh, all the minerals required mm-hmm. for this stuff um, with a one-way ticket right back to China. Wow. So much happening. And um, it's just encouraging to be able to to gather with our, our listeners once a week or every other week during the summer. Yeah, we got a summer schedule going here. Summer schedule and just to be reminded of the importance of our faith, reminder of how um, we should stay focused um, and and speak up and, um, and live boldly and on mission. I mean, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. So thank you to those that listen. Thank you to those that are participating and maybe sending someone on a mission trip this summer. We've had folks um, being sent to, to Kenya, uh, to Honduras, to Uganda, and so many just different you know, things happening. I woke up this morning and saw a photo of Bob and, uh, and Kay. In, in Haiti. There are no Mount Kilgali, man, in oh, Rwanda. They've Rwanda. In, <laughs> like, wait, where, where did you go? <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Like, they, spent, they actually spent a little bit of time with Matala at Good Samaritan School. Oh, that's so, they've so been cool. In Uganda. Yeah, I mean, we've got like I think the Akels are currently in Peru right now on a mission yeah. trip. Like we, there are. I'm so proud of our church. We yeah. get people going everywhere to the point where I couldn't even keep track of them. It's so it's so encouraging, and and, and hopefully that encourages you that there's whether it's um, across the globe or literally across the street, you have a mission field. Maybe it's even your own home with your kids, just by being present, and spending time with them this summer. Um, we just want to encourage you in that. And if you missed this last week's teaching. Pastor Eric, our missions pastor, uh, was teaching on the importance of freedom, specifically through our mission, Operation Freedom. You can learn more about that. Go to our YouTube channel and catch up on the the latest teaching there. Go to our website, conduitchurch.com, and we hope to catch up with you soon.